Millions of people were put to death during the Holocaust. Many of them Jews, many of them Christians, many people from different nationalities and the ethnic cleansing that Hitler had ordered and dreamed of. One of the death camps that inflicted much, much of that pain was a place called Auschwitz. On August 14, 1941, history tells us that an event played out that is noteworthy beyond mentioned here today. There's a man by the name of Francis Gzauszczak, and, and he was being led astray and led, I'm sorry, led away to be put to death. And the reason was he was one of ten prisoners that had been randomly chosen to be led off to be executed. And the reason was is because in particular a prisoner had escaped and the Nazis had a way of preventing these kinds of escapes. See, if someone escaped, then ten of their fellow prisoners would be put to death, executed immediately. Prisoner had escaped, and so ten had been randomly chosen. Francis Gnaudyshek was one of them. But he pleaded for his life. Those that were witnesses of it that day said, he called out, he says, my family, my children, my wife, have mercy on me. And Nazis were not known for being merciful. They were not known for giving moments of grace. And yet in this moment, a man stepped forward. His number, very prevalent, and he stepped forward, but many people already knew who he was. His name was Maximilian Kolbe. You see, Maximilian Kolbe was a Christian pastor, and he stepped forward that day, stepped out of line, and the guards started to beat him, and he said, no, wait, I want to take that man's place. And the guard said, get back in line. But one of the other guards who was in charge overheard it and stepped forward and says, come here, sir. Come here. And he actually pulled Francis Gajawicek out of line and put him back and, and actually let Maximilian Kolbe take his place. And as those prisoners were led away to be executed, a man had the opportunity to live. Who does that? Who willingly steps forward into someone else's place knowing that in so doing they would be put to death? Who does that kind of thing? Some years ago I had an opportunity to visit someone from a former church, a young man who had been arrested on drug charges, arrested on theft. And he had been incarcerated at the Kane County Prison and to that point, I'd never actually been to a prison like that, at least not a maximum, maximum security kind of facility. I, I checked in at the front. They did the frisk search. I had to go through metal detectors. I had to state who I was coming to see, why I was coming to see that person. And, and they led me through several gates and, and, and doors that would lock and shut. And that sound of metal on metal and, and the sound of the buzzing of the electronics, like, boom, and, and hearing the that crash behind me of realizing what it is be, to be behind bars. It led me to a, a center room in the, in the prison, and as I walked past jail cells and hearing inmates 
shouting out at me and saying things to me, and some of them weren't very nice. They led me to what was kind of a seating area around a table, and they said, wait here as we go and and we, we retrieve the prisoner you've come to see. And I, I waited several minutes just looking around and that feeling of being truly behind bars. And yet knowing that I had the ability to leave whenever I wanted. Thinking, what would it be like to be here? To truly be behind bars? The young man was led to me. He was in shackles. He was wearing the orange jumpsuit. He had shackles around his, his legs, shackles around his hands. And I'm thinking, we're surrounded by bars. Why do they have to keep chains on him? But they did. He sat down. His expression was just empty. He realized his life was really messed up. He knew me. I knew him. I had an opportunity to share God's love with him, to pray with him, to open up scripture with him, to spend time talking about where hope is found. And and I kept thinking to myself as I left that day and seeing him being led back to his jail cell, I kept thinking as I was leaving, would I be willing to take his place? And I had to say to myself, I wouldn't. Can't imagine doing that. I enjoying my freedom way too much. I love him. I cared about him. I was his pastor, but the thought of taking his place did not cross my mind at all. After all, he got what he deserved, right? He'd been convicted rightfully because he had done it. He knew he had done it. He was getting what he deserved. He was in bondage. He was in chains and shackles. He'd earned it can't imagine taking his place. One day Jesus was teaching and he was talking about the kingdom and he said to those who were gathered there, he says, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. And those that were listening, they said, how dare you say that to us? We've never been slaves to anyone. Interestingly, a quick Google search in the day would have really brought up their history. The fact that, yes, they actually had been slaves. For 430 years, they had been slaves as a people under Pharaoh. But that's actually not at all what Jesus was talking about. Jesus was talking about their minds, their hearts, and their souls. How dare you say that to us, they said. We've never been slaves. A man gets up in the middle of the night, his family's asleep. It's a familiar moment for him, something he does quite often. He convinces himself it's all about just getting a middle-of-the-night snack. But the snack leads him past the den, where he sees the glow of the computer screen on screensaver there. And he tells himself, I'm just going to check some email just to see what's waiting for me at the office tomorrow. But he knows why he's really sitting down. The mouse almost moves itself to where to click, to lead him down a path that would guide his eyes to see things he knows he shouldn't see. He convinces himself, but this is something I deserve. I work really hard. I provide for my family. Nobody's there for me. 
And yet he is very much shackled to his sin. He's enslaved to it. A young mom spending time with friends. They're sitting at a coffee shop. They're spending time just celebrating what it is to be parents, what it is to spend time with others and community. And she can't help but say it. She's like, you know, I know I shouldn't say this, but have you heard about that? And she goes on to tell the story of what she's heard, what she's been told. She says, I know it sounds bad and I probably shouldn't say it, but after all, isn't it my job to tell what everybody else is talking about? And so she slanders and so she gossips. And the shackles of slavery surround her. But it's all out of rights of being concerned, she tells herself. And helping others to have that same concern. Man goes to work. He has it down. He knows what success is all about. He has it all figured out what it takes to be successful. But along the way, he's realized that he works really hard. And, and after all, often he isn't rewarded for how hard he works. And he has it all figured out because, after all, he works in the accounting department. Nobody will ever figure out how just a couple changes here and there to benefit his salary or to benefit a project that no one will know about. And yet the shackles of deceit surround him. You know, it's easy to think we are free and yet be surrounded by our sin. The shackles, the chains, the bondage of being enslaved to our sin. Maybe I haven't touched on yours, but I got a feeling because you are a human being with a heartbeat, you know what this is and you know how real it can be. And so Jesus, one late night, the moon is full and the Passover is upon them and and thousands and thousands of people have flocked to Jerusalem and Jesus says, let's go out to Gethsemane. We're going to go pray. Something they would do quite often if you were a follower of Jesus, one of his intimate 12 disciples. They, They went out, they spent time there, and then it happens. The posse of vigilantes arrive and Jesus points it out. Now, we we don't know exactly how many there are. Some have thought probably around 200 soldiers, but John's gospel seems to suggest that because Judas had arranged it, there was what was called the Greek spuria, which would have been up to 600 soldiers. Regardless, a lot of soldiers accompanied by the religious leaders of the day, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, leading the posse, this vigilante justice coming out in full riot gear with clubs and swords and all the pictures you've seen in the news of riots that have happened in recent months. Picture that. And why are they going out? Because After all, Pilate wanted to prevent a riot from happening. Certainly, a religious uprising would not be needed, even though they needed to arrest just one man. And really, what had he done? 
What is Jesus getting arrested for after all? You know, a lot of times we forget, we just kind of sugarcoat it and and say, well, because he was a savior. Yeah, that's true. But what is he getting accused of? Many times you'd say, I and the Father are one, or I am God, or your sins are forgiven. (laughs) And this was hypocrisy. This was heresy. Nobody can say that unless they're Messiah. And after all, if Messiah comes, he's going to be very religious. He's going to lift up what is right. He's certainly not going to spend time with drunkards. He's certainly not going to spend time with prostitutes and tax collectors, those who are traitors to the cause of the church. Why would he do that? He cannot be of God. And yet they seek to arrest him and even kill him. Because when God comes in the flesh, his greatest compassion and heart is for people who are outside the church. And it gets him killed. And he is bound and he is led away. And that is good news for everyone. Because in his bondage and in his being enslaved and led away and arrested unwillfully, or I should say very willfully on his part, but he's not guilty. He's without sin. And yet in that sacrifice, in that willingness to go that way, as one who would even say, why are you fighting this, Peter? After all, don't you know I could call down legions of angels? In fact, the expression he uses is 72,000 angels, soldiers would have been at his disposal. But no, Jesus willfully and purposefully allows himself to be led away. Whether they used chains, whether they used leather straps, they bound him and they led him away. Who does that? Who's willing to purposely step forward and take the place of one who's condemned to die? The answer is Jesus does. And as he said, and you'll know the truth, And the truth will set you free. And if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Praise be to God that our God has come and that the Son of God sets us free. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you. In our slavery, in the bondage that we find ourselves in our sin, whether that sin is self-righteousness, whether that sin is pride, whether that sin is lust, whether that sin is deceit, whether that sin is slander. Lord, we ask your forgiveness and your grace. We've been people who have lived shackled to our sin for far too long. And we pray and ask you today to remind us of what it means that you were led away for us. We thank you that your act of mercy, your act of grace, your act of love sets us free as people who truly are in our hearts and our minds and in ourselves far from you. And yet you have come near to us because you love sinners and you call them to know you and to know your grace and forgiveness today. Thank you for that gift and thank you for that truth that sets us free. In Jesus' name, amen.